last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Sometimes I yell, but generally not. Only when I see high prices. (laughs) And this is the thought that fires. Fuck you. And God rest his soul. He's not dead, but God rested anyways. And it's a point two three. Look at that. You should be impressed. (laughs) Because I can do math. Clearly, look, they're decibels. These are decibels, Nate. They're decibels. Look how smart I am. I'm really good at math. And and I drafted Tevin Coleman because I was fucked already. (laughs) So why not? (laughs) We're already fucked. I already took a timeshare running back in the first round. So, you know. I'm all in with being fucked here. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. I hear whistling going on. Matt, how's it going? How's your weekend? Having a great weekend, Nate. I'm enjoying life. Sounds like it. Yeah. My daughter recently received a karaoke set for her birthday. Full-blown karaoke console, multiple microphones, speakers, the whole setup. You can imagine me in front of a karaoke machine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not good, but I can imagine you doing it. No, no, but I love it. I love karaoke. You knew that about me. No, that's this isn't this surprisingly has never come up. No, but I know the, we haven't talked about it, but you know me as a guy that of course would love karaoke. No, I can see that. You definitely fall under the classification of somebody that would be into karaoke. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Yes, right. You're that guy. But I'm beyond that guy. I'm beyond just the guy that goes up and grabs the microphone. I'm also the guy that grabs the microphone halfway through the song when someone's struggling. (laughs) Why? Like you're going to get up there and kill it? No, I go up there and I grab the other microphone. I put my arm around the person and I get them through it. All right. I thought you meant like shove them off stage and try and steal the moment. Oh, I do that too. Uh, All the different variations of look at me karaoke guy. That's Matt Kelly. Yeah, I told you so radio and look at me karaoke guy. I took it to another level last night, though. So we had a couple couples we met up with at a friend of Vivian's house. So my daughter Vivian, she has a a bunch of friends and we're friends with all their all the parents. And she insisted that we bring all the karaoke equipment with us to the party. And I said, that's fine. That's fine. We'll bring it. I have no problem with that. So. The dad sees me showing up with these speakers and the console, and he's just like, and he just rolls his eyes because with me, it's always something. You know, I never just show up with the family. There's always some extravagance. There's always some histrionics involved with, with us arriving. We can't just arrive like a normal family. That's just not how we do it. That's not how the Kellys roll. It's good. So he requests Piano Man. Because he and his daughters know Piano Man, and they're singing Piano Man. It's going great, but of course, P- 
people get shy, they struggle. And I happen to find myself holding one of the microphones halfway through the song. And then I took it to a level that no one was ready for. Did you have a set of big sunglasses with you? In one hand, I held the microphone. And in my left hand, I reached into my pocket Do it. and pulled out a harmonica. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. What in the world? And everyone in the room looked over at me and said, oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh my gosh. Matt Kelly being that guy again. Oh my gosh. A harmonica. Had to steal the thunder from the song that the other family was supposed to be starring in. Of course. Of course. I could not allow the other family to kill it on Piano Man. I had to jump in there and bring out a harmonica that I had premeditatedly stashed in my pocket for that particular moment. It's unbelievable. I'm that dad. I'm that dad. I'm the dad that all the other dads hate. They're just rolling their eyes going, Matt Kelly brought a fucking harmonica? What the fuck? What the fuck is this guy, man? Where did this guy come from, man? Who the fuck brings a harmonica? He had it in his pocket the whole time? Can't one-up that. He didn't even know we were going to request Piano Man. Uh, this fucking guy's diabolical. <laughs> it's typical. You were just running the odds. You knew somebody was going to. Uh, you're actually pretty good on that thing. <laughs> it's just it's a variation of the same melody on the harmonica, and it always works. It's going to another level. Kapow! Kapow. Eat shit, other dads. And and also, also, I think you've lost credibility at the same time. Gained it and lost. A harmonica is a great way to gain credibility and lose it in the identical moment. Right. That so, was me just unzipping my pants and throwing my penis down on the karaoke console. Huh. And then people are just like, eh, yeah, all right. That's all right. Hey, congratulations, Matt Kelly. You won karaoke. Great job. I don't do karaoke. That is definitely not my thing. What do you want, a medal? What, do you get a trophy for this? Did you uh, did you solo act after that, or was that like your one your one moment? I had my daughter bring in a Yamaha piano, <laughs> and we did Super Tramp Take the Long Way Home. That's great. Uh, and just dominated the room, and no one could do karaoke after that. It's fucking Kelly's at it again. <laughs> and then you can see someone realizing, oh, wait, they brought their own karaoke equipment here. This wasn't the host family's karaoke equipment. The Kellys brought this just so they could one-up everybody. Typical. Typical. That's great. Nice harmonica, asshole. <laughs> well, I'm glad. It sounds like you had a good weekend. Oh, I love it. Nothing gives me more pleasure than just establishing my alpha dad status. That's a weird way to establish any alpha status. I got to be honest with you. It didn't seem like the typical way to go about it. <laughs> right? Right? I mean. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. The wives are entranced by it. The children love it. The dads hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Exactly. Uh, that guy at the dinner party. That's good stuff. How about you? How was your weekend? Oh, man. You know, I'm, I'm starting to realize that uh, 
I'm mortal, Matt. All these years, thought I wasn't, and I'm realizing more and more frequently that I am. Uh, the other day, I was at a buddy's house. He had a barbecue. Told him I'd stop by for a little bit. Brought my daughter. He's a survivalist. He's into you know renewable energy and and using rainwater for rain barrels to collect it. And you know a gardener and botanist and has a, a tiny house. So tiny house. Yeah, he has a tiny house. Are you familiar with a tiny house? It's a very small house. Okay. I mean, congratulations. You have a small house. Right. 300 square feet. Little. 300 square feet? Something like that. It's the whole house? The whole tiny house. So that's not even the best part. So he, he's been, you know, he's been producing his own honey over there forever. He's been farming it. Oh, my God. So he's another that guy. Oh, yeah. Is he single? Yes, he's single. So he's the that guy bachelor. If I'm the that guy <laughs> oh my God. married father, he's the that guy bachelor that we all hate. The guy that's making his own fucking honey. He goes, he goes, he goes, Nate, bring you and your daughter and let's go over there and let's check out the beehive. And, and by the way, it's beehives. Okay, so there's three beehives over there. And there are bees, thousands of bees running back and forth between these hives and wherever they're going out to the flowers and the plants and doing their thing. And they have like their own their own airspace. As long as you're not in it, you're safe. So they say. So, so they say. It's a little four by four tarp. Not very big. So I'm standing as far back as he is, which is the identical distance of my daughter. And we're looking at these bees and it's mesmerizing. There's thousands of bees. They're flying in and out and they're doing their thing. And my daughter's mind is blown because she's never been this close to bees in a hive. And all of a sudden, as he's kind of telling me that these bees, you know, are a little rowdy because they've got a new queen and it's a new hive and that, you know, they're not really settled in yet. I'm looking at these bees flying around and one bee, I, I swear, I pick it out of the crowd and it just puts on the brakes, makes a hard right turn and comes directly at me. You know, and I, I kind of try and turn away from it. It lands on the top of my head. And like anybody else in this world, I decide I'm going to I'm going to swat at this thing. I'm going to brush it off. You know, like about the same time that I do it, my buddy who bee keeps with, you know, no bee suit on, no gloves, no nothing. He's like, don't swing at it. And I swing at it and try and whack it off the top of my head. But it's too late. It's already stung me in the top of the head. Now, I don't know when the last time you were stung was. But it was a very uncomfortable feeling. Have you been stung? I have been stung. I was stung last year. Had a couple buddies out to the house. And we went to one of those adventure parks. Those ropes courses with the rope ladder and... Zipline? Zipline. Whole thing. And for some reason, we decide we're just going to start with the double black diamond. No experience whatsoever. I'm the only one that's a climber, but this is a different skill set altogether. And we're struggling just to get up the initial rope ladder to the first platform. And there's like 35 platforms with one challenge after another where you have to use all of your muscles to balance and pull and swing from one rope to the next onto a moving log. It's very difficult. And to get from one platform to the next, if you don't use the right technique, you end up with all these rope burns. By the time we made it to platform five, I was scraped and scratched and bleeding, bruised. And two of my friends at that point just said, listen, we're out. And we had to call. It was embarrassing. We had to call. <laughs> for someone to come rappel up the tree to rescue us so we held up the entire course for 15 minutes as 
a rescue team came to bring down my two friends, but myself and another friend decided we would continue on to the first exit station. And it was excruciating. I mean, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I didn't break a bone. I didn't tear a ligament. So because I wasn't severely injured, I can't say it was the worst experience of my life, but outside of something truly awful happening in my life, that was the worst experience that I've ever been a part of. And we're finally at the end, going to the last challenge. It's a zip line to the first way out. And halfway through the zip line, I can see in my periphery a giant wasp nest. And a wasp just comes out and just right, right in the face. Right in the face. Right in the face. The right side of my head is swelling up. I'm finally to the platform. I exit. I'm putting my arms around my friends for support as we make it out. And it was truly miserable. And then we get to the exit. And they have the picture that we had taken at the beginning fully developed and framed. So they hand us this picture where the four of us are thumbs up, making funny faces. It looks like we're about to have such a good time. And then we look at each other leaving and so good. we're just these miserable, broken individuals. And this was supposed to be the signature event of the weekend with my friends. This was me showing them a good time. <laughs> That's good. It doesn't sound like it ended that way. And we've never been so miserable. No, it's it hasn't been a good weekend. I uh, I think I was telling you this off air. I'm starting to realize my age. I'm not even that old. I'm in my early 30s. Went out last night, had a couple beers. I'm gonna be honest. You know, I'm probably gonna get a lot of crap for this from the uh, the listeners. That's fine. Bring the heat. You can find me on Twitter. I don't care. I had about six beers last night over the course of five hours. I spent all last night throwing up. All last night, three or four times, just getting up. What if you're allergic to the bees? Maybe that was it. Maybe it wasn't the alcohol. I got stung in the head two days ago. I got this crazy thing going on with the lymph nodes in my neck. If anybody's a doctor, get a hold of me. I just want to know if I'm going to die. And then a day later, the drinking. I don't know if I have an allergy to the bees, to the alcohol, whatever it is, Matt. I'm I'm not making it through this life holding a giant trophy in my hands. I'm I'm getting a participation ribbon, but I'm failing miserably at all the uh, the cool tough guy bragging things. I don't drink a lot of beer. Bee stings cripple me. And this is where I'm at in my life now. So anyways. You're not casually strolling through life surrounded by serendipity. Everywhere you go, things just break in your favor. You're not Derek Carr. Oh, no. No, I'm not Derek Carr. Speaking of Derek Carr, we have some breaking news. Derek Carr has just become the NFL's richest man. Woo! And the best quarterback on Bizarro World. Because I don't understand how it has come to pass that Derek Carr is the highest paid player in the NFL. Because he's not even in the top 10 best quarterbacks. Do you agree? Inside the top 10, you know, I don't know. I think uh, three years in the league, he's done some impressive things. And I think... uh, What has he done? What has he done? uh, Well, I mean, just last year alone, if you look at him, he finishes the quarterback nine. So if we're talking about real football or fantasy football, depends on where we're at here. Blake Bortles was terrible in 2015 when he finished as the QB four. Derek Carr finishes as the QB nine last year. QB nine? 
with a defense that wasn't very good. QB9? Yeah, QB9 overall. With a defense that wasn't very good. 17.8 fantasy points per game. I'm assuming that QB9 is total fantasy points. Correct, yeah, for the season. Right, so on a per-game basis, Derek Carr well outside the top 10 quarterbacks. That's fine. I'm not going to use that as a reason why I don't think that he should be inside the top 10. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Derek Carr, his defense, number one, not very good. 24th against the pass, 26th in total yards, 23rd against the run, 20th in points per game allowed. So they're giving up a ton of points. They're averaging 24.1 points per game they're giving up. For perspective, the New England Patriots, 15.6. So a huge gap, which is probably the primary reason why Derek Carr was second in game-winning drives last year was seven. And for fantasy owners, that's not a bad thing. He's going to throw the ball more towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter to make these comebacks. Is there anything more random than game-winning drives? Some quarterbacks are simply not in a position to execute a game-winning drive because they're not down by less than a touchdown with two minutes or less left on the clock. I think what people are going to cite with Derek Carr, too, is it probably his completion percentage. So he was 15th in completion percentage last year. He's the second youngest on this list. But for perspective, Tom Brady has eight seasons with a completion percentage lower than Derek Carr's 2016 completion percentage. Five of his first six seasons in the league were lower than Derek Carr's 2016. Derek Carr has never gone backwards on his completion percentage, always going forward. Tom Brady didn't throw more touchdowns than Derek Carr's 32, which was in his second year, until his seventh year in the league. And he didn't throw less than six interceptions until his ninth year in the league. Right. Tom Brady was not a prolific quarterback until Randy Moss arrived. His best receiver was Troy Brown early in his career. So why are you choosing, so you're cherry picking the guy that didn't have receivers early in his career to compare Derek Carr to. Meanwhile, Derek Carr has Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree to throw to. He, I'm not, I'm not cherry picking it. What I'm telling you is he won three Super Bowls while not being the most efficient quarterback in the NFL. So if we're looking at Derek Carr's statistics... Yeah, where are the statistics that tell you Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback? Where are they? You haven't listed one yet. You said he's outside the top 10 in completion percentage. That's really all I've heard from you making noises in front of a microphone for the last two minutes. So, okay, so what what stats do you want to talk about? I mean, if you're looking at I'll touchdowns, talk about, I'll, I'll I give you plenty of stats. You. Last season, negative production premium. So, situation agnostic efficiency metric. Looking at every given down and distance on the football field, how did Derek Carr perform against his peers? He was in the negative column. Negative 3.1 was 19th in the league, outside the top 15 in passer rating, total QBR, yards per attempt, air yards per attempt. There's nothing special about Derek Carr except his supporting cast. That's it. Congratulations, Derek Carr. You've been given one of the best supporting casts in the NFL. Excellent receivers, an exceptional offensive line, and an ascending defense. I mean, congratulations, Derek Carr. Everything around you exists to support you and to propel you into the upper echelon of quarterbacks based on the perception of the casual fan, not the advanced metrics. So here's here's not what 
those of us that understand the game at a deeper level, because we understand that Derek Carr cannot be a top 10 quarterback. And this is one of those unique instances where the analytics community and the film grinder community agree. Analysts that I typically disagree with are providing analysis in lockstep with myself on Derek Carr, even the analyst that we disagree with the most. The analyst who has become a show pinata the last few episodes, I even agree with him. Gam Gam! What does Gam Gam have to say about Derek Carr? I don't know what Gam Gam has to say about Derek Carr. He has him outside the top 15. He has 15 quarterbacks ahead of Derek Carr. Who does Gam Gam have ahead of Derek Carr? Let's see here. Uh, He has Stafford, Ryan Rogers, Luck Rivers, Wilson, Dak, Tannehill, Big Ben, Breeze, (laughs) Brady, Newton, Winston, Mariota, Bradford. Bradford! (laughs) Okay, sorry, Gam Gam, I can't. I can't support him on Bradford, and I can't support him on Tannehill. But for this season, on the Player Profiler redraft rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have Derek Carr outside the top 15. I have Derek Carr behind Carson Palmer and Matthew Stafford and Eli Manning and Andy Dalton and Phillip Rivers and Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, and on and on and on. All the quarterbacks that you would expect to be above Derek Carr are slotted in above Derek Carr on the playerprofiler.com seasonal rankings. And on the dynasty rankings, we do have him inside the top 10, but not because he's a top 10 quarterback in a vacuum, because he's 26 years old. So we have him ahead of Rivers and Roethlisberger and Palmer because he's 26 years old. So, of course, he's in the top 10 in Dynasty, but a lot of Dynasty experts have Derek Carr in their top five. We do not. Check out our rankings to see exactly where we have him. Here's the deal. It would be hard to put him outside the top 10. Number one, he played 15 games last year. Had he played 16, he would have had back-to-back 30 touchdown seasons. He ends the season with 28 touchdowns and six interceptions. And you're talking about statistics. If you look at what he's done over the first three years of his career, only two other quarterbacks have the same passing yards and the same touchdowns as Derek Carr. Those two quarterbacks, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Derek Carr, after his first three years, has a better completion percentage than the average of Andrew Luck's first three years and Peyton Manning's first three years. He has far less attempts than Andrew Luck had, and he has similar touchdown ratio. He has way less interceptions. I mean, these are two guys that if we hadn't talked about the statistic beforehand, you would have said, oh, we love Andrew Luck. We love Andrew Luck. Oh, Peyton Manning. We love Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. But I told you, Derek Carr already has better numbers in a lot of respects than Tom Brady, even over Brady's first seven years. During the first phase of Tom Brady's career, do you know what they called him? What? A game manager. That was the label assigned to Tom Brady. Oh! unanimously i know you scoff now because we've seen tom brady with randy moss and we're going to get to see tom brady this year with brandon cooks but when his best receiver was troy brown tom brady was called a game manager and the statistics you're citing are the statistics that you would cite for an accomplished game manager well completing passes not turning the ball over helping your team win those are the virtues of the game manager. And NFL fans agree with you, by the way. I am in the minority 
I mean, you are speaking for the majority. A poll on Twitter recently closed out, Derek Carr versus Andrew Luck, who would you rather have to start a franchise today? A show premise you've never heard before. Correct. You're completely unaware of this hobby horse show premise. Who would you rather have if you were starting a franchise today? Well, people on Twitter prefer Derek Carr to Andrew Luck, 54% to 46%. (laughs) Derek Carr over Andrew Luck. I mean, this is the place we've arrived. Another Twitter poll asked, which young quarterback would you prefer to build your team around? Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Marcus Mariota. With five choices, over 50% of the audience chose Carr over Mariota! Over Mariota! This is the world we live in, and I'm reacting to it. I disagree strongly. This is some kind of bizarro world where a precocious game manager is in the MVP conversation. You do realize that Derek Carr's last season, again, missed a whole game. His last season was better than probably Tom Brady's first seven seasons in the league. Better. And you call Tom Brady a game manager of his first six seasons in the league? Here's his turnovers every year. 12, 14, 12, 14, 14, 12. Game manager? He's turning the ball over all over the place. Derek Carr had more yards, more touchdowns, half as many interceptions, and a better completion percentage than Tom Brady in every season of his first seven years in the league. So we're crapping on Derek Carr, but we're not giving him an opportunity for for what he'll be going forward. He's already proved historically he's as good as Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning in the first three years. His first three years are, are better than any of the years of Tom Brady in his first seven. And in fact, he's got some better years than Brady after that. I mean, Brady threw 11, 11 interceptions and 25 touchdowns in 2013 with a completion percentage that was 3% below Carr. It's clear. I mean, this is with these guys. Look, Carr is good. I think it's clear that we can now expect Derek Carr to eclipse Tom Brady in career accomplishments. He's already done it with some of them. He's on a trajectory which puts him ahead of Luck and Manning and Brady. That's why you're seeing MVP polls from 2016 with Derek Carr just behind Tom Brady. It makes perfect sense. I must be wrong. The casual sports fan and Nate Liss are right that Derek Carr is an MVP candidate and is on pace to eclipse Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And I just don't get it. I just don't get it. There are numbers that stick out. I'm with you. There are deficiencies all over. No, I'm wrong. No, I'm wrong. I don't get it. I am not processing the information correctly on Derek Carr. This is a blind spot. I have a blind spot with Derek Carr. So thank you for pointing out that he will likely be better than Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I miss this. And I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. If his statistics continued, though you're putting words in my mouth, if his statistics continued on this pace, he would surpass all those guys. But here, let's talk about red zone completion percentage. This is something where we both know that Derek Carr hasn't been very good in 2016. But you know who he was better than in 2016 in red zone completion percentage? I'm going to name four quarterbacks that I bet you love. Inside the 20, better than Kirk Cousins. Better than Russell Wilson, better than Phillip Rivers, better than Jameis Winston in completion percentage. Inside the 10, better than Kirk Cousins, 1% worse than Russell Wilson. Okay, why are you bringing up red zone completion percentage? Derek Carr has been under 50% red zone completion percentage for two consecutive seasons. 
this is one of his great weaknesses. If you want to illuminate a strength of Derek Carr, then you should point out his deep ball completion percentage because that's exciting. Last season, 42.6% deep ball completion percentage, number six in the NFL. He has a strong arm and he can throw deep accurately. That's exciting. That's the one area of the Derek Carr profile which gets me legitimately excited. But that's it. That's it. That's not top five quarterback material. That's not start a franchise with Derek Carr instead of Marcus Mariota. That's ridiculous. You do realize that Russell Wilson has been really bad inside the red zone. A quarterback that we love, that we pump up. Why are you talking about Russell Wilson? Because you want to avoid talking. You are pivoting this conversation in a ridiculous fashion. Right. It would be good to not talk. I feel like this is you after six beers just driving this conversation all over the road. Stay inside the lines! It would make plenty of sense for you to avoid bringing up how bad Russell Wilson is in the red zone because it props up Derek Carr being bad in the red zone. You don't compare him to a quarterback that we say is borderline elite in Russell Wilson, has the intangible. Russell Wilson is not borderline elite. Russell Wilson is exactly elite. Okay, well, I'm just telling you right now that his numbers in a lot of respects versus Derek Carr, the guy that you're crushing right now, are worse. Derek Carr's last season was really good. There were deficiencies on it, but there are plenty of counting stats that support it. The If you look at the historical comps of what he's done in three years, that supports it. You are cherry-picking the stats that you want to highlight. I am simply looking at... All of the advanced efficiency metrics, when I go to Russell Wilson, his last healthy season, 2015, plus 27.9 production premium, was number one in the NFL. And then when I look at Derek Carr, I see a negative production premium. This is what I'm talking about. I'm consistently looking at the same efficiency metrics, player after player, season after season, and you are going through these player portfolios with a microscope and tweezers just pulling out individual numbers so that you can reverse engineer an argument in favor of Derek Carr. I think we should focus on what we agree on. We both think he's a top 10 dynasty quarterback. He's going to be very good for a very long time. He could absolutely take a step forward this year and finally reach 4,000 yards, a plateau he's never reached in his career. But I'm not even sure this is the year he makes it there because they just brought in Marshawn Lynch. So the Oakland Raiders want him to continue to operate as a game manager, handing the ball off to the running backs and allowing the defense to help win them games. They're not asking Derek Carr to win games, and he's not helping them win games based on the advanced efficiency metrics. Maybe a couple years from now, they will pivot the focus of the offense to Derek Carr. But until then, this idea that Derek Carr is the reason for Oakland winning 12 games last year completely neglects the contributions of the defense and the offensive line, which were the real drivers of the winning. His defense was terrible, and he had seven fourth-quarter comebacks, seven game-winning drives. That was a huge part. And by the way— So clutch, Gene? The statistic that you brought up, which you want to talk about cherry-picking stats. Let's talk about Matt Kelly doing it. Matt Kelly cites the fact that Derek Carr didn't surpass— 4,000 yards. You're right. He played 15 games and missed it by 63 and averaged 258 passing yards a game. So 4,000 yards. You would have easily passed 4,000 yards. So not let's, 4, let's not cherry pick stats. 3,900 is not 4,000. Okay, right. Cherry picking them. 15 games. You would have passed it. So let's not cherry Passing pick yards? Passing yards is cherry picking? Passing yards? 
You're cherry-picking Tom Brady's completion percentage in 2005. That's what I'm talking about, cherry-picking. Okay. I'm talking about advanced right. efficiency metrics and passing yards the last two seasons. Jeez. Yeah, that's me. I'm really, uh, I'm really going back in the annals of history to cherry pick those stats. Are you not cherry picking when you go a Derek Carr a stat that he hasn't hit four thousand yards, <laughs> and then you look and he missed the whole game, dude? He would have clearly passed four thousand. So let's not play the the landscape line where oh he didn't surpass four thousand. He would have passed it. Let's move on. It's a ridiculous stat to try and cite. If he would have played sixteen and not made it, fine. He didn't pass it, and he was number 13 in attempts, so it's not like some of these guys that passed it. You had Blake Bortles didn't even pass it, and he was number three in attempts. Eli Manning barely passed it. He was number seven in attempts. So Derek Carr was doing fine, and he would have passed it. Eli Manning had an awful season and passed that threshold. Exactly. So to summarize your argument in favor of Derek Carr being viewed as one of the league's top quarterbacks and in the same echelon as... Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, don't do that. You're citing clutch gene. Don't do That's what I'm hearing. No. Fourth quarter comebacks, clutch gene. You are channeling Skip Bayless okay. to support a ridiculous Derek Carr position, which is fueled by droning casual fan zombies on Twitter. You're, Congratulations. No, is- You're in the herd of the zombies shuffling down the road no what's happening is you're saying that Derek Carr is not part of the reason that this team is winning games you're saying it's the defense and it's this and that but what I'm clearly telling you is he has four fourth quarter comebacks or seven fourth quarter comebacks seven game winning drives what you're saying is inaccurate he's a reason but he's not the primary reason but you said he wasn't part of it he hasn't even reached a place where he deserves to be the face of that franchise 28 touchdowns, six interceptions. He would have had over 4,000 yards. Pretty good year. And like I said, look, it's fine. We can disagree. I'm just telling you that nobody was saying this about Tom Brady. Okay, you say that they said he was a game manager. He was way more risky with the ball, throwing 14 interceptions in a season. That's almost three times what Carr did last year. It's fine. I don't want to have this debate. I'm not saying he's better than Brady. I'm just saying you want to make historical comps. Look what Carr's done in his first three years. It's pretty good. And what he did last year was actually a really good season comparatively to the quarterback that I think we agree is the greatest quarterback of all time. In 2005, they were reluctant to make Tom Brady the face of that franchise because he was not posting impressive statistical seasons. Players like Teddy Bruschi were the team leaders and the face of that franchise just like i believe that the face of the oakland raiders should be khalil mack not Derek carr but phenomenal players from amari cooper to michael crabtree to khalil mack are being overshadowed by the white wonder boy (laughs) who can't drive to work without saving a dog from a burning building oh geez come on let's not let's not attack his character and clearly you've bought in to the mythology. If you want to ignore history, that's fine. That's that's a bad way to go about life. I'm just telling you that I love Tom Brady. He's the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. But you can look at Derek Carr's 2016 and compare it to almost any season in Tom Brady's first seven, and it was better than any of them. And you should just give him time. I mean, Brady obviously opened up towards the last, you know, the middle to the second half of his career, and he's been phenomenal. But in those first three seasons, I believe he still had three Super Bowls as a not uber efficient quarterback. So 
if things start working in Oakland, if they get that defense short up, if the run game is short up with Lynch, this is a team that could potentially make a run because their quarterback is doing what Tom Brady did. Tom Brady didn't even have, he had, okay, he has one season with similar game winning drives. No fourth quarter comebacks. They're even close to what Carr did last year. So they weren't necessarily asking him to drive the team back into the game. There's, I'm not trying to put them in the same light. I think we should start comparing more quarterbacks to quarterbacks of the past on this show. I'm not sure why I haven't set up dichotomies comparing modern day quarterbacks to Phil Simms. I need to do that more. This is a great idea. Okay. Why don't we compare more quarterbacks to Troy Aikman? This is great. I, I I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. We are really we've really failed to analyze quarterbacks correctly. We should be comparing 2017 quarterbacks to quarterback seasons of yesteryear, of decades gone. That's what we should be doing on this show. We've been failing. Are you telling me that you are the guy that is all about statistics? You have a website based on advanced statistics and you want to ignore statistical history? It doesn't make sense. And sure, we're talking about 12 years ago, but we're talking about a quarterback with similar passing attempts. It's all the same. So what? Have you compared Derek Carr's first two seasons to Fran Tarkington's first two seasons? Because they're strikingly similar. I realize that you're trying to turn this conversation to to make it look like something that it's not, where it's validating that Derek Carr has had a pretty impressive year in 2016. Despite whatever production premiums you want to bring up, Tom Brady's production premium wouldn't have been any good either. Too bad player profiler didn't exist in 2003. Yeah, I love how you're predicting production premiums from 2003. This is where you need to. I would love to see it. Nate Liss's quarterback analysis officially jumps the shark. I think I've realized the biggest problem with me not having my camera on is that you can't see me giggling after some of these points that I'm making. There's nothing I can see. You have this disgusted look on your face, which I don't think you would have if you saw me chuckling as I was making these points. But the fact that my camera's broken is making it more difficult. You're becoming more hostile. I've never heard you this hostile in the show. And I think it's because the camera's off and you think I'm being 100% serious with all of these points. I don't think I'm being more hostile than I was in one of the previous episodes. <laughs> but nonetheless, look, we both like Derek Carr. I think he's certainly beyond the top 15. He's way better than that. He's easily in the top 10. And going forward as a dynasty quarterback, he's somebody you want to own. He's on a great trajectory. He's on a great team with great weapons. There's nothing to dislike about him. We got to give him time. He's been great thus far. I compared him to other great quarterbacks. He's on par at the first three parts of his career. So let's see where he goes from here. Sure, there's plenty of other quarterbacks I'd rather own. And you can name a ton of them. I mean, there's plenty in the league, but Derek Carr has not been that bad. And I think he's getting painted in a pretty piss poor light. But I've just given you a ton of stats of why he's been great and why he's trending positively. So I think we agree on this. Derek Carr is on a Sammy Baugh trajectory. All right. Can we just can we just move? I can't even see you. But when things like that come out of your mouth, I don't need to see you. Thank God. All right. God, this guy, what a jerk, yeah, right? Derek Carr's 2016 season is better than any season that Len Dawson ever put together. Okay. All right. Listeners, don't don't buy into this. Enjoy the praise that we tried to put on Carr. Matt wants to go back in time in a time machine. 
and get the cronies from Player Profiler and do their statistics. I would love to see. I would love to see a player profiler write up on Tom Brady in one of those first seven seasons and compare it to Carr. I think you would see some pretty parallel statistics. You've now lapsed into unfalsifiable hypotheticals. I mean, this is like a museum exhibit for how to lose a football argument. Look, what are we talking about anyways, Matt? This is a game wrapped inside of a game, okay? There's nothing... There's nothing we can say. There's no debate to be had here. Oh, you're pulling my game within a game ripcord. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I can officially declare victory after that ripcord's been pulled. Pulling it. And, of course, the ultimate pivot for this show, a buzzard message. All right, and here's what the buzzard message reads, Matt. It says, why is situation so important for backfield drafting in a dynasty league context? It's a great question. We get asked this a few times in the last couple weeks. If we're drafting running backs for life, why do we care so much about how many rushing attempts the team had the previous season or the team's 2016 offensive line efficiency? Well, it's because running back is the one position among all others that is laced with uncertainty. It's the position that you draft based on near-term opportunity and situation more than other positions because of that uncertainty. We may never have a clear picture at how talented Jordan Howard actually is. And so for that reason, we have to take into account his supporting cast on the Chicago Bears. On the one hand, a very efficient run-blocking offensive line. On the other hand, an anemic offense led by either the incompetent Mike Glennon or rookie Mitchell Trubisky. That's a lose-lose for Jordan Howard, and we need to focus on that more than Jordan Howard's ability when evaluating him even in a dynasty context. We're not even sure what Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley actually are, and it may be years before we can draw concrete conclusions about their abilities. This is why stashing Jarek McKinnon behind Adrian Peterson a couple years ago on a bad offense has since been revealed to be a mistake. That's a mistake that I will own because I was advocating stashing Jarek McKinnon in all dynasty formats three years ago. Jarek McKinnon was a third-round pick in Dynasty Rookie Drafts, and I was pounding the table for Jarek McKinnon, and it was misguided. But I'm not here to pretend that my mistakes didn't happen. I'm here to learn from past mistakes and evolve. I love Daniel Lasko. I love his situation. But the fact of the matter is that he is the number four running back on the New Orleans Saints. And multiple running backs have to get injured for him to become relevant. And for that reason, I am cutting a player with a great profile on a great team loose. That's the reality of the running back position in a dynasty context. Over the last two weeks, we've been doing this backfield drafting segment on the show. We've got 10 teams left. Most of these teams are not very exciting. You think we can just run through the rest and and talk about these backfields? Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Okay. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Woo! Let's let's start with the Minnesota Vikings. This is when I miss the camera. I can't see what just happened. I can only hear it. Oh, my God. Uh. (laughs) the advantage to not being able to see it the harmonica is so surprising that it comes back in 
It's great. The robot turret harmonica playing War Machine. Oh, man. It's great. So what's going on? We hear the harmonica. Well, what's the take on the Vikings? How do you feel about the Minnesota Vikings heading into 2017? One of the most anemic offenses with one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines. I'm not interested in Dalvin Cook because he's being drafted in the first half of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. <laughs> Child, please! We've <laughs> talked about his 7-2-7-3 cone, so I'm not interested in Dalvin Cook. I'm certainly not interested in Latavius Murray, who is behind Dalvin Cook on the depth chart and lacks any fluidity in space. So he can't get out away from the penetrating defenders. And in two years, with a quality run blocking offensive line in Oakland, Latavius Murray has underwhelmed. So what do you think he's going to do in Minnesota? Ew! <laughs> so I'm simply going to throw a dart on the best value running back, and that continues to be Jarek McKinnon. He's an incredible value at now at the end of Dynasty Startups, and you can get him as a throw-in in trades. Now is the time to get Jarek McKinnon as a deep league flyer while drafting him last year at an elevated cost was a mistake. I think that based on the value proposition that Jarek McKinnon brings to the table, I actually think that this year he is a value despite the lessons learned from previous seasons. And just to be clear on your theory here, are you also looking at Jarek McKinnon as a player that potentially goes somewhere else at the end of his contract and has value once he goes to his new team? That's right. He can be relevant this season if there's an injury, and then next year he goes to a different team where he can finally be unlocked, a team with a great offense and or a great offensive line. The problem with Jarek McKinnon is... He's the best athlete in the NFL, and he's had neither working in his favor. All right, let's move on to the next team, Matt. Rapid fire. This team shouldn't have much to talk about. Los Angeles Rams. I like Todd Gurley in Dynasty, and I don't like anyone else. Lance Dunbar is not interesting because Lance Dunbar is a satellite back on the worst offense in the league. That's never a player you're excited about. Okay, that was quick and easy. All right, here's one. This one's a little interesting. Detroit Lions. What are you doing in this backfield? I'm going to backfield draft this one. Why not? They have an improving offensive line, and every year, Matthew Stafford finishes in the top 10 in the NFL in pass attempts. This is a prolific offense, and one of these years, they will solve their offensive line problems. It could be this year. If the offensive line improves this year, then in hindsight, Amir Abdullah is going to be viewed as a screaming value throughout the 2017 offseason. He's one of those running backs that I am aggressively targeting in Dynasty. You have these running backs in the 15 to 25 zone on the playerprofiler.com Dynasty rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. There you see Isaiah Crowell, you see Ty Montgomery, you see CJ Procise, you see Duke Johnson and Blel Powell, and you also see Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick in that zone because Theo Riddick is one of the best satellite backs in the league. And I believe that the Detroit Lions will lead the league in percentage of plays with two halfbacks in the game at the same time with Amir Abdullah in the backfield and Theo Riddick lining up in the slot. Anquan Bolden's gone. So it makes sense that they would play Theo Riddick and Amir Abdullah together, particularly on passing downs. Amir Abdullah is a competent receiver out of the backfield, and once he gets his hands on the football, he's electric. So you want to get Amir Abdullah out in space. And because Theo Riddick has a wide receiver background, he played wide receiver at Notre Dame, he's a perfect fit 
to replace Anquan Bolden. Line him up in the slot, get him going in motion, move him all around the formation. I see Theo Riddick as this queen chess piece in that offense, and I see both Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick being fantasy viable this season because of the volume that they will experience in Detroit. There will be significant red zone opportunities for both of them. Theo Riddick was one of the most efficient running backs in the red zone last season. I think that they either hand it off to Amir Abdullah and he punches it in for a touchdown, or they swing it out to Theo Riddick in the passing game in the red zone and let him go around the edge for a touchdown. Either way, Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick will be scoring fantasy points this season in volume, and they are the perfect running back duo to backfield stack in Dynasty. Okay, quick question for you then. After that, Abdullah, ADP 68 overall, Riddick 104. If you're dart throwing, are you going Riddick? Of course, yes. Riddick is a much better value. He's only a couple years older than Amir Abdullah, but his youth is not reflected in his ADP. He needs to go earlier than that. I think Dynasty drafters are neglecting Theo Riddick, acting as if he's going to lose his role to Amir Abdullah, and that's not necessarily the case. And that's also a false choice, because on the prolific offense, especially the offense with heavy pass volume, both the primary back and the satellite back can be highly relevant in fantasy football. Okay, here's a backfield that we thought maybe they would add somebody to You're it. not going to ask about Zach Zenner? Just ask me about Zach Zenner. Just throw me a Zach Zenner softball. Ask me, should we be stashing Zach Zenner on our taxi squads? Oh, man, hey, how about that superstar running back, though, that's still on the roster, Zach Zenner? What are we doing with him? No. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, just flat out no. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I was confused. Ask again, ask again. What about Zach Zenner? You didn't even mention him. What are we doing with him? No. <laughs> what a dick. All right. Let's move on to the next team quickly. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. They were supposed to add a running back, supposedly. Harbaugh said he was going to. They did not. Terrence West, Kenneth Dixon, Javorius Allen still hanging around. What are we doing in Baltimore? I think this is the under-the-radar team where it does make sense to backfield draft. And I think in Dynasty Leagues, you can backfield draft three players. You can stash Kenneth Dixon. He's suspended. So in a lot of leagues, you can actually put him on your IR spot for the first four games of the season. So just stash Kenneth Dixon. Draft Danny Woodhead. Absolutely draft Danny Woodhead for the same reasons you're drafting Theo Riddick. Now, I know Danny Woodhead, he's over 30. But Danny Woodhead has not absorbed the number of touches that most running backs over 30 have absorbed. Danny Woodhead's not Frank Gore. Danny Woodhead's not Adrian Peterson. Danny Woodhead is a lightly raced race car because he also didn't carve out a significant role in the NFL until his mid-20s. He missed a couple seasons with knee injuries. And in the seasons where he played a full complement of games, he was not carrying the ball 200 times. And the touches he was getting were out in space where you don't absorb the same violent collisions that you're exposed to in the middle of the field. So for a lot of reasons, I think Danny Woodhead is a young 30 years old. And on the Baltimore Ravens, who lost Dennis Pitta and lost Steve Smith, there are a significant number of close to the line of scrimmage opportunities vacated and open to Danny Woodhead in Baltimore. 
So I think Danny Woodhead will eclipse 100 targets. He will be in the top 15 running backs in PPR leagues. And that's how we draft running backs in Dynasty. We look at near-term opportunity. That's why Danny Woodhead should be on everyone's Dynasty radar, as well as Terrence West, because Terrence West is going to be the primary back for the first four games. And you never know what's going to happen. What if he has a wildly successful four-game run? You can't assume that Kenneth Dixon is simply going to usurp him the moment he returns from suspension. I mean, Terrence West is going at the end of drafts. You might as well draft Terrence West so you can start him early in the season. And if he performs well, ride him. None of the running backs on this roster are expensive. That's why the top three should be rostered because the Ravens project to finish in the top 10 in the league in pass attempts. So this is a prolific offense. Their offensive line is good, not great at run blocking, and none of the assets are expensive. So the Ravens are one of those teams that you should be backfield stacking in Dynasty. And I'll tell you, looking at the ADP again, using Rotoviz here, Kenneth Dixon is about 80 spots ahead of Terrence West. And I get it. Many of you do not participate in Dynasty leagues with 30 roster spots. I understand. If you're in a shallower dynasty league and you had to pick two Baltimore running backs, you just want a duo, well, drop the more expensive player. Just don't draft Kenneth Dixon at all. Just get the running backs that will be hogging the week one opportunity share, Danny Woodhead and Terrence West. Okay, now we got to go mega rapid fire, Matt, because of that. All right, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. Is there anybody that you're owning in Buffalo outside of LaShawn McCoy? Well, Jonathan Williams is the handcuff. The problem is that Jonathan Williams is not a pass catcher of any kind. So if LaShawn McCoy gets hurt, like if Le'Veon Bell gets hurt in Pittsburgh and James Conner becomes a primary back, Jonathan Stewart, like James Conner, will not be a bell cap. He'll be an early down grinder, but Buffalo is not Pittsburgh. Buffalo is not a prolific offense. So I'm not interested in Jonathan Williams because he's a late round running back, unproven, whose upside is early down pounder on a conservative offense. No, thank you. (laughs) Okay. All right. What's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals? It's Bengals. It's not Bengals. It's Bengals. That's what I said. I said Bengals. Ben. Bengals. I, I think you and I are saying it the same way, right? Bengals. I like Joe Mixon. I think if you have the fourth overall pick in Dynasty Rookie Drafts, you're drafting Joe Mixon because Joe Mixon has the most impressive talent profile of any running back in this rookie class. The problem is the Cincinnati Bengals will have a below average run blocking unit this season. So I'm not sure whether Joe Mixon will have running lanes or not. That's a big if, but you're still drafting Joe Mixon if you have the fourth pick. Every time, Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon. In fact, now that the Tennessee Titans have signed Eric Decker, I wouldn't blame you if you drafted Joe Mixon before Corey Davis. So I own Joe Mixon. You own Joe Mixon. We all like Joe Mixon. We want Joe Mixon to become one of the league's elite running backs, which is absolutely in his range of outcomes. Joe Mixon could be a top five running back in the league. So Joe Mixon's the guy to get, of course. But Giovanni Bernard has become a value because Giovanni Bernard is the satellite back in that offense and has a history of production. And a little addition to that, Joe Mixon's ADP and startups, 30. Joe Bernard's, 126. Yeah, Giovanni Bernard is 25 years old. One of the cheat codes for dynasty drafting is look at a player's age 
and look at their past performance in a vacuum. Forget that the Bengals just drafted Joe Mixon. Just look at Giovanni Bernard in a vacuum for what he is, a 25-year-old who consistently scores 12 fantasy points per game. That's value in dynasty leagues. And Jeremy Hill would be the starter if Joe Mixon gets hurt, and Jeremy Hill is going at the end of drafts. So if you own Joe Mixon... Go ahead and draft Jeremy Hill. And if you don't own Joe Mixon, go ahead and draft Giovanni Bernard. But I don't think this is a team that you should be backfield drafting. Essentially, if you have Joe Mixon, enjoy Joe Mixon. And handcuff him with Jeremy Hill. And if you don't own Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard's a great value. But you shouldn't be investing three roster spots in the Cincinnati Bengals backfield. No. Okay. How about the Cleveland Browns? Cleveland Browns are an interesting case because this is not a prolific offense. This is not a high-scoring offense, but because their run-blocking unit projects to be a top-five offensive line, just steamrolling defensive linemen this season, I think that this is the outlier case where you do want a backfield draft. You want to stack those Browns running backs. You want Isaiah Crowell at his current ADP. And you want Duke Johnson at his current ADP. Isaiah Crowell will be an efficient runner because he's one of the more talented between the tackles grinders in the NFL. And Duke Johnson will be productive in fantasy football this year because the Browns will be losing a lot of games. They'll be playing from behind in the second half. And that's when Duke Johnson will enter the game and ring up significant fantasy production. So that's how both Browns running backs can be fantasy assets. Neither one of them project to be RB1s. Of course not. It's a running back committee on a team that's not going to be scoring a lot of points. So, of course, you can't count on Isaiah Crowell or Duke Johnson being RB1s in fantasy. They don't have RB1 ceilings. But these are both nice value RB2s. The problem is that Isaiah Crowell's dynasty ADP is creeping and creeping and creeping and creeping. Isaiah Crowell is getting expensive. So if you have to pick between the two, I would go Duke Johnson because if Isaiah Crowell gets hurt, he could be one of the league leaders in opportunity share as their bell cow back. And to your point about that ADP climb, Isaiah Crowell currently 51 overall, Duke Johnson 116. Whoa, whoa! Isaiah Crowell's dynasty ADP is a rocket ship at this point. (laughs) Get him while he's hot. (laughs) I don't think I can afford Isaiah Crowell any longer. You can't backfield stack the Browns if you can't afford Isaiah Crowell. Just go out and draft Duke Johnson. Okay, Matt. Rapid fire. You got to stick to your promise, sir. This is rapid fire. What do you think this is? We're rapid firing. No, that's that's very analysis-y. The people appreciate <laughs> Oh, God. That's going to be as much of a surprise to the listeners as it is for me. Because, again, I can't see any of this happening. So, all right. Quickly. Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you owning anybody but Leonard Fournette? It's the Jaguars. It's not Jaguars. That's a common mistake. I've heard a lot of people make this mistake. It's not Jaguars. It's Jaguars. Jaguar. You can't even say it. You can't even say it with an S because you're thinking so carefully, saying it methodically. You can't just say it naturally. Say it naturally. What happens? Jaguars. There you go. With the wires. (laughs) Are you owning anybody but Leonard Fournette on this roster? I love Joe Mixon on the Bengals more than I like Leonard Fournette on the Jaguars. It's good. It's 
good. So, no, I don't like anyone on this roster. I don't own Leonard Fournette in any league because he's being drafted before Joe Mixon and Corey Davis and Christian McCaffrey. So I'll never have an opportunity to draft Leonard Fournette. And this is not a team that knows how to run block. This is not a team that's going to score a lot of points. So whoever the running back is, the ceiling is significantly capped by the supporting cast, by the situation. That's part of the reason I'm not drafting Leonard Fournette if I had the number one pick overall in Dynasty rookie drafts. And I'm sure as hell not drafting TJ Yeldon or Chris Ivory. Both of these players could be out of the league next year because neither one of them are very efficient. Okay. Leonard Fournette's ADP right now, 17.5 in startups. <laughs> right? Okay. Denver Broncos. Broncos. Is that right? I think I said that right. What's going on in Denver? Anyone but CJ Anderson. Anyone but C.J. Anderson. I own lots of Devontae Booker. I own lots of D'Angelo Henderson. D'Angelo Henderson is the ideal last round dart in deep dynasty leagues because that running back depth chart is very thin. Devontae Booker flamed out last season, but as we've talked about on this show many times, still a small sample and rookie running backs are allowed to struggle. Devontae Booker, hugely dominant at Utah, 40% dominator rating, and a 14.3% college target share. So Devontae Booker is an exceptional receiver out of the backfield, and he has a workhorse pedigree. So if something happens to C.J. Anderson, I think Devontae Booker, given a second chance at becoming a bell cow, could ascend. In fact, I believe that C.J. Anderson will likely struggle this season because he's not good. C.J. Anderson has not posted a 1,000-yard season since high school. Given that, I believe that Devontae Booker will eventually prove to Denver coaches that he is the better back and he will become the primary back at some point this season. But I think Devontae Booker can prove himself to Denver coaches without leveraging fraudulent stats from Pro Football Focus, because you saw this tweet from at PFF, almost 70% of Devontae Booker's yards came after contact in 2016. That was the third highest percentage of yards generated after contact. That's an impressive stat, right? Right? No, that was the most fraudulent stat I saw on Twitter all offseason. Why? Because Devontae Booker wasn't good after contact last year. 0.8 yards after contact per touch was outside the top 60. Well, how do you explain the pro football focus stat? Well, 69.4% of zero is still zero. Devontae Booker was highly inefficient last season, negative 13.8 production premium outside the top 60, and a 3.5 yards per carry overall. When your yards per carry is 3.5, even a 70% yards after contact rate is not going to be impressive on three and a half yards per carry. Do the math. But that doesn't matter because you're not going to understand what Devontae Booker is capable of by splitting and splicing his 2016 performances. You better understand Devontae Booker by zooming out and looking at what he did at the college level. That gives you a window into what Devontae Booker's professional ceiling is, and I think it's quite high on the right team. Unfortunately, the Denver Broncos are not a prolific offense, and they have a bad run-blocking unit. So I'm not as enthusiastic about Devontae Booker as I could be if he were in a different situation. But in the longer term, I see D'Angelo Henderson as a real threat to take over because D'Angelo Henderson, as we've discussed on this show as well, 
dominant college producer who showed some nice athleticism, particularly size-adjusted speed, runs a 4.48 at 208. The problem with D'Angelo Henderson is his listed height of 5'7". <laughs> Please, he's not 5'7". He's not 5'7 any more than the Celtics' Isaiah Thomas is 5'9". Okay. No. The Celtics' Isaiah Thomas is not 5'9". He's closer to 5'7". D'Angelo Henderson's closer to 5'4". D'Angelo Henderson is a full-blown midget. Oh, my God. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. If I had to apologize for the custodial comments, I guarantee next week you're going to be apologizing for that. So we're not allowed to say midget anymore. He's a little person? I don't know what it is. So midgets no longer politically correct, right? I don't know. I, I use the word, so I'm not really sure. I'm not really a PC type of guy, but you know that about me. Yeah, you're definitely not a person I should be asking. And I don't like the term PC because basically PC is just a way for assholes to continue their jerkitude with immunity. So in order to make sure that I'm not an asshole, I will repeal the midget descriptor from D'Angelo Henderson and simply say that okay he's tiny he's just very small he's very very small and it doesn't mean he can't be a great running back I think it's an advantage to be able to go under the legs of offensive and defensive linemen okay this is getting out of hand we have one team left we're gonna do this one Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are you owning over there this one's tricky this one's very tricky because I hate the lead back. I don't like Doug Martin, but I think this will be a prolific offense with a bad offensive line. And that's always the trickiest case. When you have the great offense, but the offensive line's bad. We've seen this for many years in Indianapolis. We've seen this for many years in Detroit. Any given year, they could turn it around. So for that reason, I'm drafting multiple Buccaneers running backs. The running back we like the most, we can agree, Jeremy McNichols for the long term. But for this year, I'm drafting Jaquiz Rogers for the same reasons I'm drafting Terrence West because Jaquiz Rogers projects to be the starter for the first few weeks. And those first few weeks matter. Do you want to win your fantasy matchup in the first few weeks of the season, Nate? Oh, yeah. You want to win games no matter what. Does that interest you? Does winning matchups interest you in fantasy football? Of course. So that's why you draft Terrence West. That's why you draft Jaquiz Rogers. And on a team that's going to be throwing the ball a lot, why wouldn't you want the satellite back? And Charles Sims is one of the more efficient satellite backs in the NFL. So you absolutely want Charles Sims, even though he proved last year that he struggles in a primary back role as a secondary back, as a satellite back, as a complementary player. You can absolutely see Charles Sims posting 10 plus fantasy points per game. So draft Jeremy McNichols, draft Charles Sims, draft Jaquiz Rogers. It's one of those few backfields where where I would approve of hoarding up to three running backs on a single team. Just do not draft Doug Martin.
passing yards? Passing yards is cherry picking? Passing yards? You're cherry picking Tom Brady's completion percentage in 2005. Kapow! Eat shit, other dads. Man, hey, how about that superstar running back, though, that's still on the roster, Zach Zenner? What are we doing with him? No. <laughs> what a dick. really like this uh, D'Angelo Henderson. Whew, he's so small. Oh, my God. He, I mean, tiny, like microscopic, like he looks like a little person. Are you allowed to say midget anymore? Is that no longer allowed? Is that not politically correct? In Trump's America? I think you can say whatever you want, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you say it without being an asshole? I should have said it that way. God, this guy, what a jerk. Let's see here. God, this guy, he he just tweets so much trash that it's like you get behind trying to find these tweets that don't even... I mean, when you're tweeting 12,000 times a day, it makes it near impossible to find anything of, of relevance. It's just as good if I debate with actual statistics as it is if I don't know anything about what we're talking about. Have you compared Derek Carr's first two seasons to Fran Tarkington's first two seasons? Because they're strikingly similar. I think we agree on this. Derek Carr is on a Sammy Baugh trajectory. <laughs> okay, I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. If you think about it, like I feel like Derek Carr does have a John Unitas ceiling. I get those passive-aggressive favorites, or those favorites where you know someone is favoriting it just because they're going to try to come back and criticize the tweet in hindsight later. Derek Carr talk. You've heard that? Have you heard that show? You know you can get rid of your blind spot. If your car has a blind spot with the mirrors, then you're doing it wrong. I love Joe Mixon on the Bengals more than I like Leonard Fournette on the Jaguars. I told you that there was a landmine coming on one of the teams we would talk about, and I never told you the team, and then you found out during the show that the team was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because I didn't even want you to get the slightest inkling that that trap door had been set. It was yet another trap door. It was good. We had the Bengals, and we had the Jaguars. <laughs> I love that you're not even trying to say it wrong. That's just how you say it. All the different variations of look at me karaoke guy, that's Matt Kelly. Where does this guy come from, man? Who the fuck brings a harmonica? He had it in his pocket the whole time? He didn't even know we were going to request Piano Man. This fucking guy's diabolical. Nice harmonica, asshole. I'm just going to keep saying midgets because fuck you. He's tiny. He's just very small. He's very, very small. And it doesn't mean he can't be a great running back. I think it's an advantage to be able to go under the legs of offensive and defensive linemen. And we're good to get to see Tom Brady this year with Brandon Cooks. Yeah! If I'm the that guy married father, he's the that guy bachelor that we all hate. The guy that's making his own fucking honey. 
This is like a museum exhibit for how to lose a football argument. Eat shit, other dads!